0: And welcome to the Dice of Screaming Podcast.
1: Whoa.
0: Yeah, that's right. A <laughs> little high. A little high, a little low, but we're always missing the mark. <laughs> hey, I'm Randy. Yeah, I'm Mike. And together
1: we're the Dice of Screaming Podcast. <laughs> the lurker above of gaming podcasts. Okay, so maybe we do occasionally go over people's heads, but it's never for a good reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: Zap would approve.
1: <laughs> be careful going down that narrow hallway. Mm. <laughs> the dice are we'll get you. Yeah. <laughs> One
0: way or another. So, hey, I hope you're all good out there. Uh, yeah, Gary Khan just closed. Uh, a lot of yeah. fun stuff to seem to uh, be focused on there, as well as the D&D Direct 2023 announcements. So, we're going to round that up in our Action OGL News uh, segment, but uh, first, you know, we this here, uh, from last week, we had a uh, pretty good response to our magic items, and uh, yeah, we got a little off in the weeds in some things, but I
1: think... I did, I did. I felt like I, I didn't get all the points home that I really wanted to.
0: Yeah, but I think what we uh, tried to uh, bring to a point there was how we wanted to look at your magic items are an essential part of a fantasy campaign. And there's been through the various editions and uh, ways of other games looking at it, they've all been treated as essential components. And unlike other games like science fiction games, or even like sci-fi cyberpunk
1: or adjacent sci-fi. Well, I mean, I did at least, I managed to include some mention of the fact that even in those systems, uh, you have items of unusual design or value, yep. things that do, uh, you know, surprising effects that you might not normally have been
0: able to Cybernetic achieve. enhancements, new
1: things. Bioware. And it translates in many respects into like, this is the desirable acquisition. It has that same hold on players that uh, the magic item does. Yeah, which- I wanted to bring out uh, to that
0: um, a gestalt. That I think gets a little overlooked these days, but starting to get a little bit more as uh, uh, Starfinder. And I'll uh, I think that we should do an episode on Starfinder, the blend of magic and science fiction together. Like how your characters uh as they evolve, they get symbiotic uh implants, a alien um technology as well as magical technology like the traditional rings and amulets and uh Matt flashy swords and stuff like that. That's a unique blend. And I think maybe we should uh, look at that for future podcasts. But as we're forecasting into the future, oh, yes, let's look into the Astro for what looms in our future for the next
1: episode. Okay. Bring go. forth the dice. Oh, the Astro gazes into the dice. And in the near future, he sees the D&D movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's timely. Yeah. We're talking that we will try to at least control spoilers. Okay? We know uh, it's a timely topic. It's a movie that a lot of people are looking forward to. So we are going to curtail the amount of information that is uh, significant to a new watcher you like if you have not seen the movie we will try to diminish that but we must warn that like some discussion of some things may be inevitable
0: right we'll probably what we'll do is uh probably the last 10 minutes we'll go spoiler heavy
1: and uh if you've
0: seen it then
1: you can tune in for that we'll, we'll give yeah. you a uh, a heads up exactly the the plan here at uh, the dice of screaming tentatively is to divide it so that uh, that segment can be something that people pass on. Uh, and be like you, you'll know. We will make sure that people know when to back out and, like, <laughs> hit, hit stop here. Uh, what happens next is <laughs> up to you. Yeah. So some effort will be made to uh, maintain a spoiler-free zone uh, while we do some pre-discussion, and then one portion will be leaning into the spoiler material. So right. look forward to that next week. Right. And for this week, we'll
0: be talking about player oppositional defiance disorder. Now this is... No, we won't. Well, yes. Yes, we will. No, I'm not talking about it. Well, somebody's
1: got to talk about it. I'm sure they do, but it's not going to be me, man. Well, Not at this table. Not on my watch. This is going to be a great episode.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. So we'll be talking about that as we move forward uh, you will <laughs> well, you will too either directly or indirectly dragging you kicking and screaming um yeah so yeah it's been a week and uh it's been right with announcements so let's get right into the action ogl news so yeah so here we go uh right off the bat DD direct 2023 announcements uh yeah they uh they basically gave uh an open kimono view without a full fluttering of what's coming up and uh they yeah, showed a little egg all right yeah sure you know they've uh this was a basically a video presentation that wizard of the coast did to show the what's in store coming up they're definitely bringing back planescape in a big way in vecna uh, there's hints that they will be uh engaging with demogorgon as well as some others. Uh, I believe that um, in the current canon, Demogorgon is deposed as the uh, ruler of demons, the supreme demon lord, but I'm not 100% sure on that because I haven't kept up on my d canonical lore. But that seems to be something that's hinted at, but Begna is going to be making a big appearance, and so using Planescape, it's probably going to be a multi-planar event, and so... Uh, that looks exciting
1: um, yeah, a lot of people I have are to say uh, while I am not engaged in the D d beyond community online I, I don't I don't do virtual tabletop myself uh, I'm, I'm a little stodgy and old-fashioned I, I hate to be Mr. stick in the mud. I, I hate to own it but I have to um, while I have not been a part of that, I do think of this, as a series of interesting developments for those who are having that experience at this time. So, I, you know, like I, I'm not going to say oh, it's all terrible. I wouldn't know. You know right. I'm I, not going I, to I don't play
0: We're we're doing our thing. Uh you know, I uh, definitely will come out with a, a piezo announcement. They've been uh, very. Uh, they've been coming out with a lot of different things, and uh, while well, they're Fine and doing well with uh, the newfound attention uh, put on them. The OGL debacle still continues to have its fallout, and <laughs> a lot of people are dismissive of what d has in store coming up here. And this was there. I'm book. not.
1: I, I'm not going to be dismissive of it. You know. I, I, yeah, I, I
0: think that you know, Planescape. I mean, I'm really not a participant in this, but I think it's newsworthy for the fact that. They're going to be coming out with some new products and obviously it's going to be on the uh, coattails of the new movie. They're going to be moving forward with um, marketing and toys and little things. Um, like I said, I was wearing D&D socks and oh, slips seen d with the ampersand symbol and the Die 20 motif on the soles uh, while in a DD and d throw pillow with Tim Truman and David Trampier illustrations
1: kind. yeah i saw those by the way I, yeah. I was in kalamazoo and i saw some of those uh, <laughs> i was particularly i looked at the throw and i was like all right yeah that, that that's pretty cool I, yeah, yeah i, yeah, I, I don't, don't, don't hate it. this i don't hate this so you know they uh showed
0: like uh whiz kids is going to be coming out with a uh, large-scale miniature of Baby Owlbear was going to retail for about 120 bucks, so it is a bit pricey. But hey, it looks really nice, and uh, you know, to sit on the <laughs> gamer baby Yoda, yeah,
1: and, or Bragoo for those who are you know inclined to insist. <laughs> yeah. ah, but no, I I, uh, I have seen these developments, and I, I can't say that I disapprove. Although you know, my interest personally is what's on the publishing slate. You know, for 5e, what's, what's coming out? Well, yeah, they've
0: got, they announced the whole, like, the whole campaign arc that they're going to be coming out with uh, the introduction of, or reintroduction of Planescape. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do some of that. Um, it is, kind of, Planescape is, was that edgy era of the 90s. I was discussing that last night with several of my uh, fellows. It was the idea that uh, when Planescape came out, uh, they had to take d into an edgier fashion, and
1: Planescape was the vehicle they did with that. And, uh It's one way to do it. Actually, there is a 5e product that I have seen that I want to, like I I know it's a little bad blood, a little dust up a couple of months ago, uh, and we were not in a good place. Um, There is a product they released recently that I really like, uh, and it's a heist compilation. It's a, you know, much like the Candlekeep Mysteries in this case, it's all heist-based, mm-hmm. and I was fascinated by it. It's an attractive-looking product, uh, some very interesting material in it, and I'd love to do a review sometime. Not just yet. I'm going to let a little more distance go, but, uh, you know, a time will come for that. Yeah, and they, uh, getting back to that uh, Golden Archive,
0: uh, what they're doing with the toys, the, uh, they got releases of Xanthar, um, the displacer beast from Honor Among Thieves, and that's all available on the Hasbro Pulse fan streams. Uh, Magic is going to have uh, Honor Amongst Eve's Secret Lair drop for the Magic Gatherings. Going to have six
1: cards based on the characters of the film. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the Secret Lair drops uh, because yeah, you know those are just really you know, like collectors only. They they don't have a lot of uh, you know it's antithetical to the the game's actual purpose, which is for people to play it. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't, I have a little difference of opinion with their direction choices on those. But, hey, I'm, I'm glad to see the movie get a nod.
0: Yeah, and uh, also uh, the Ari Salvatore is coming up with the Legend of Dritz uh, series. He's going to be coming up with the Dao of uh, Dritz and then conclude later in the year with Waltz Warrior. Uh, he also had a, a big stream on that G&D direction release. You can look at that on YouTube. I would uh, definitely say that uh, Salvatore has been a larger figure than probably ever, anybody ever. And when he started this with what was it, the Crystal Shard? Yeah. Dritz uh, wasn't a character that he initially uh, thought would take it a route among so many fans, but uh, yeah, he's become definitely a fan favorite and a, a larger than life legend in the d d lore. And a lot of people, obviously, go, oh, I want to play a draw ranger. And, yeah, you know, that's a thing. But I think that there's also a lot to be said that he's managed his property well, and he's kept good control of the character throughout the years.
1: And I think that's a noteworthy event. Bully yeah, totally for him. I, you know, he is a fan favorite. Uh, I know. You know, there was a little edgelord quality there. Sure. That I, I I know wears on some of us. But it was well-written and fun. Okay? It. Uh, you know, not as edgelordy as some edgelords. You know, he he kind of struck the correct balance where, you know, you've got a character with a whiff of that, uh, you know, anti-hero in the Michael Moorcock sense. Little little snippets of Elric uh, amidst all of that. I don't disapprove.
0: Yeah, Dritz, we could probably do a whole breakdown of it. Um, I know, Mike, you're not a big... uh fiction writer, a reader of uh, the lore, but uh, I think over the years uh, it's come to to pass that Dritz has appealed to people based on a lot of different aspects of his personality, whether he's a loner who yet sees himself a part, but part of something. I think that is the unique character quality that I've always found intriguing about him is rather than like Elric, who is pretty much a solitary figure except for his uh, eternal companions. Moonglum and uh, Count uh, Baldhead of the Isle of Purple Towns. Love his naming.
1: Yeah, Count Smiorgan, Smiorgan, smorgan of the Purple Towns.
0: Uh, no, I... I... <laughs> you know, he's had... He,
1: Elric is like, oh, he's a loner character. Yeah, except he has companions and he, friends. He has, like, associates whom, you know, like, he does not feel contempt for. Rekir, the he, Red Archer. Yeah, and people that uh, he holds in good steading. Uh, And much the same with Driz Jordan. So, you know, I'm... Yeah, he has a party of uh, friends
0: that he considers associates. And he does not... While he sometimes goes on his own, he always considers them part of his extended family. Yeah. And I think that's the enduring character trait that has come to the fore over the years. That's just my take on Driz.
1: You know, years may differ. Let us know. Well, and I tend to relegate... uh, the fiction surrounding uh, D&D uh, as like more in the YA category. You know, like yeah. just, it's it's not like the most overwhelmingly complicated. Uh, but you know what? I'm not actually going to diss-diss it because uh, as what would have later, what later became considered YA fiction as like a category uh, owes a big nod to the existence of like some of this writing earlier. Because there there was no real young adult fiction category when we were young, okay? It, it didn't exist. Oh, Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew, a few yeah, things I mean, like that. And it was, like, very obvious that stuff was kid literature. But fantasy and science fiction did not so much have that. Like No, no, it, it, was, no, it was considered more sun. mature. It was a very nebulous place. So you really just kind of had to wander in and find your own comfort level. And I I got to hand it to him. Uh um, if you were an adolescent, these were some challenging reads. Like you, you, you did have to engage to read this. This was not going to be incredibly simple fair. but neither was it so incredibly complex that you couldn't, you know, you you couldn't make a beachhead here and start involving yourself. Uh, so they were they were good books and they had a wonderful impact. Uh, I'm actually thinking to myself, maybe I should do a little retro reading
0: yeah I, it wouldn't uh, hurt anybody i don't think but also i mentioned that uh, Salvatore is going to be involved with uh, a new expansion to uh, the Neverwinter mmo which uh, is available on multiple platforms i found out. i still thought it was primarily available only on pc but apparently it's on xbox and playstation oh bravo so he's going to be doing the men's brands and uh expansion Oh. everyone so he's working with them on that and also um for those who are interested uh, the minecraft is getting a full D expansion with being able to explore places like water deep and candle keep and all that
1: oh look at all blocky like my, yeah my blocky uh,
0: beholders yeah that's the same
1: yeah, chunky yeah chunky chunk.
0: and then uh also they said that um Uh, Joe Mangiello, I'm having a hard time with that name. Um, He's going to be doing the 50th anniversary with uh, John Peterson, um, a documentary on the uh, Dungeons and Dragons game, the evolution through the years. So for the 50th anniversary, that'll be out in 2024. So he's headlining that, and uh, he's got some good. uh, Anybody who knows the podcast, uh, we really think very fondly of John Peterson. He's done wonderful with playing the world.
1: Yeah, playing at the world. uh, Yeah, this book, "Playing at the World," is like I think one of the best uh, historical and uh, you know contextual analyses of the phenomena of uh, dungeons and dragons. Yeah, from
0: its initial start from back in the eighteen hundreds of German wargaming, having referees determining the outcome rather than dice. And exactly. players writing or the participants writing down their orders in advance.
1: Oh, yeah. The the rigid rules of military training applied to these miniatures war games. And like it is from that, like the culture that resided uh, after that, uh, even after the golden age of like expansionist European power warfare with war colleges, <laughs> training people with armies of miniatures that took up whole rooms, that era went away. But the hobby of miniatures warfare remained uh, entrenched, and like as we've mentioned here on the podcast, like that's the roots of the game, and it was the the moment of transmutation in the like end of the nineteen sixties, dawn of the nineteen seventies. Something weird was starting to take. Yeah, up. I went to board games through
0: the fifties with Avalon Hill and other companies trying to you know get even games like Risk and Statigo, which. Yeah, you can barely call Stratego a war game, but it is a game. It's fun. I, yeah, but, I've heard some people hey, get technically
1: Mahjong is a game of war. Sure, but, mm-hmm.
0: uh, Go, as is Go yeah. or Shogo. Uh they, they have their antecedents in conflict resolution on a uh, stratified table of rules that aren't really written but are just taught. But uh, you know, you know, chess and all these others—they are antecedents. But the real thing was, is that at that time, having a referee determine the yeah. fate of what was going to happen from those old uh, German Prussian generals being your referees. And they were sought after by members of high society outside of the military colleges. Yeah, it was a it went, it went from a, uh, a very privileged game that only a few could enjoy to uh, cheaper and smaller miniatures being manufactured for the masses. Yes. Throughout the years, and it, it became a niche hobby, the H.G. Wells involved. and
1: Belton, Yeah, we've talked about this before. We're just training over ground. But, but, you know, Mr. Peterson being there for the 50th anniversary is a highly appropriate choice. This is a guy who he's got the chops. And wonderful to see, you know, Joe Mancinella, uh, you know, being involved. It. And- yeah, it's, it, it's
0: interesting that, you know, that they've taken the charge on this, and it's going to be another... Factor coming in. Also uh, Chris Perkins and Jeremy Crawford. They gave a preview of what's coming up with some of the books story hooks, and uh, characters that they want to put in there like Vagna and alluding maybe to something with Demogorgon. That's just my take but also the uh, they gave hints and this is a more controversial one about the uh, virtual tabletop that's currently in development and how it's going to work. And yeah I'm you know, the evolution of the game is going to continue, and maybe some things are going to go by the wayside for some people. But I think that the overall concept of buying a book, uh, using pen and paper, even evaded by game aids and uh, apps. And sitting at a table with a group of actual people. Is never really going to leave. Yeah. and even if it does, even if this evolves in 50 years and we don't recognize the game anymore, it's still going to be as just as valid as it is now.
1: I, you know, made my feelings plain during the OGL-related debacle, and I stand by it, okay? I have not really changed my, you know, critique of... I, I'm always going to be concerned if they place undue uh, investment... On their online market while neglecting the non-online market if they yeah. if they neglect the actual market uh, i would i will be upset by that now Does it doesn't appear that is the case that doesn't right appear to be the case right now they appear to be nourishing both sides of this which is what i recommended at the time which yeah. is you you need it's okay to have this other interesting thing that will be fun for people terrific like you a, want to monetize that also? Yeah, yeah, yeah fine. Whatever. Do that, but uh, if you starve the vine from which this all descends, uh, the, you know this this is the path to failure. Do not undertake that. And they don't appear to have done anything so precipitous. So I'm, I am tentatively in a good place. Yeah, we're. I'm also
0: going to continue to look at uh, Paizo's Nexus project that they're coming out with, which is their version of the VTT virtual tabletops. So that's something that uh, probably be seeing a little bit more of after this. I'm pretty sure the Paizos, uh they seem to enjoy a new surge of popularity, and they uh, kind of know what it was from, and <laughs> they're not shy about that, hey, you uh, you folks have new, discovered this new game, and uh, it's called Pathfinder. So uh you know, <laughs> Thank you for playing Pathfinder. And that's what they say. It's like, you know, these are... This didn't come about but anything but by players like you. That's pretty cool. And I think uh, that's going well. But anyway, um, the VTT thing is... uh, It's it's kind of... A lot of people want to still hate on the OGL stuff. And I'm right there with Mike on that one. I don't think that... um, I, I'm really going to come back to Wizards anytime soon. But that doesn't mean that they're not newsworthy, and that's what we wanted to make
1: Hey, appropriate I'm,
0: here is like, hey, I think they're doing some all right stuff. I may not agree with some of the directions that they're taking. But having a story arc that's involved with the Planescape and Vecna and uh, large happenings, does, I like that.
1: It does sound like they have put some careful thought into this and they're not giving away, like, the, the keys to the kingdom just yet. Like they, they've they've given a little version of a trailer, you know, some notions that they've bandied around. Uh, but if they've done their homework and stitched together a really interesting plot, I, I got to say there's a good chance that you know people will come flocking back. Uh, I think they, it'll you know, attract
0: that, some people. I also think that they're getting ready to. They're kind of trying to with these announcements. There is a way to deflect from the negative press that they've garnered around themselves by no fault of their own um uh, yeah you don't see uh these uh apology tours really they didn't do much for them uh, people were still pretty much like mm-hmm. yeah
1: hey i look i was absolutely sincere you know that the the things that i said during the like january debacle uh Everything that I said, I meant. And I live by that. Uh, oh, yeah. Some of those people are still there. there. I am not, like, cutting them out of my existence. They, they have done their contrition. They walked it back. You know, like they said, okay, we're done with that. Uh, that's obviously not going to work. People aren't going to like that. So, tentatively, I'm back on board. Yeah. I'm I, not... Uh... I enjoyed 5e before. So, it, like, it obviously wasn't a case of somebody who was like, oh, I hate that game. Uh, and then... Oh, conveniently, now I'm, you know, outraged and I I don't support them. Well, Yeah, you didn't really in the first place that like, for me, that would be like, ooh, I'm sacrificing broccoli. I'm I'm, I'm not going to, I will never again eat broccoli. Oh, boy. Oh, what a, what a torment. Oh, God, that's awful.
0: Yeah, that that was me. He's talking about me. I yeah didn't play 5v
1: I had no dog really in the fight yeah there was there was no great loss for you for me it stung yeah. i mean it's like i don't want to disapprove of you like i want i want to have this prosperous relationship with you where you create terrific material and then i get to purchase and make use of that terrific material that i was really in a happy place right up until you poisoned the well <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so uh, that one it stung for me. It stung for me a lot. But
0: uh, you know, we're yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, now. Cobalt Press putting out their 5e uh, adaptation, and as sixth uh, edition comes into the fore eventually, I think that uh, that's you know, if I wanted a, a 5e experience, that's going to be my vehicle. Not that I'm heavily invested. I think more appropriately, if I had to play 5e right now, I'd want to do the Critical Role Tal Campaign setting. I feel that kind of encapsulate how I feel about uh, fifth edition with its wider scope. Ah, and yeah. An interesting inter- interesting uh, factor that I made is uh, one thing I'm still kicking myself in the hind end is how kind of adaptive to old school mentalities the Pathfinder Second Edition game is with its modes of exploration, downtime, and combat. Ah, It really does make... uh, They've made sure to include varying levels of intensity of detail. Yeah, you know, in your exploration mode, you're searching for secret doors, looking for traps. It's already built baked into the game. And yeah, you could say with, you know, old school essentials, it was there too. But here it's more codified and built into the system of benefits and class functions as well as individual player choices. And that is more empowering, I think, to helping players kind of conceptualize, like, okay, the thief's doing the trap, uh, trap checking and I'm just hanging back, holding the torch. You know, use everybody has a role to play in exploration. From <laughs> casting the tech magics and uh, looking out and uh, watching your six, making sure that uh,
1: you know, you're ready for combat in any situation. That Why do you think my mage in the OSR game kept all those vials of oil handy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that was too. And yes, I actually did this. After having been attacked by creatures that bum-rushed into the room while we were searching stuff, uh, they had been drawn by the sounds of earlier combat. Uh, Once we had been surprised by these creatures before, uh, I then, from then on, took the precaution of standing there with a torch near the entrance after having doused the floor with oil. So the next time... Somebody runs in there and like, Roar! second combat right after your first combat. Like they're going up like critter flamb- critter flambe.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a hot foot. But yeah, so, I, you know, there's a lot of things that uh, I think that When you close yourself off to new experiences, you miss out on. But nonetheless, you know, uh, if you enjoy a thing, that might be
1: a thing you enjoy. So (laughs) do what it is you enjoy. And that's the kind of thing you like. Well, you might like that kind of thing. That's right. my dad used to say. Well, hey, all right. Let's uh, make ready for our next segment. Uh, Yeah. So let's zip it up. Action OGL News signing off. And. uh,
0: we'll be back with the meat of our next episode, or our current episode. The meat and potatoes are about to happen. That's right. So stick around. All right, we're back. So talking about player oppositional defiance disorder. Now, before anybody complains that this is a triggering content warning or anything like that, we're being kind of tongue-in-cheek about this, but... I think that it, while it is a legitimate diagnosis and many people suffer from varying forms of this. I think it's worth noting that as we make start this off, that in no way are we meaning harm to anyone who is or ill will of anyone who's suffering from a mental disorder. Uh, that is not the intention of this. It's more or less to bring light to what is conceptually seen as in like a, Next to the dinner table, the quintessential conflict between the poor Harry DM and his group of players who never seem to be satisfied with anything
1: that he does. Or they do. What they're looking for is not what he is trying to offer. Like if you're looking at a depiction of the conflict between a person who is not necessarily opposed to some number crunching and critter hacking, uh, but as a creative, wants to build a you know fascinating narrative, uh, an immersive culture, and has all of these other facets of the potential gaming experience. You know, there's Poor BA with his huge catalog of all the things that he has immersed himself in and prepared himself to convey. And only like just two, three percent of his material, I'm like, okay, uh, you've built a beautiful culture of these creatures who you know, like live. Uh, on top of a high plateau in a rarefied circumstance and it's incredibly complex. Uh, what is the average experience points value per creature and how many times will we have to stab them to make all of them die? Uh, and you know, when presented with that, (laughs) a DM instinctively flinches, Uh, that is not where he thought this was going to go. Now I will, I will say this for nights at the dinner table. Uh, it, it's been around a long time. BA has just cause to have yeah, realized by issues. now, 300 plus issues. You should know by now where this is going. Like, you you know what your audience is. You know what's going to happen. This is kind of on you, buddy. Yeah. That's like, let's acknowledge the DM's role. And you got to read the room. You got to know your audience. Read the room. Uh, you know, are you a comedian working in a nightclub in uh, Montreal or in Savannah, Georgia? Mm. And how does that affect your material accordingly? Right. Okay, that that's true for DMs just like everyone else. It is to some degree a performance art. And if you're not prepared to make that adjustment, you will find yourself continually in conflict. But that brings us back to like the actual oppositional defiance disorder. There, There is a very real condition where... I've had some guilty moments here and there, especially well, when I was younger. Well, everybody experiences
0: a, a defiance moment in their life, and I think that's just normally human, where we feel conflicted, and our only way to deal with that is to lash out. That said, that this is not an admonition of that. This is not taking anybody down. At, there's no leg sweep on this one. It, it basically says, how as both as a DM and a player, do you deal with things like for the DM says, well, that's just the way it is tough cookies. You're just going to have to deal with that. Right. And well, all right, I'm here for a discussion about how to reach compromises, but some players take it to a whole new level. It, it's
1: rare, but if you have DM long enough, you will have seen it. <laughs> and if you played long enough, you have been at a table with somebody who has pulled these moves. So, We're going to approach it first from a DM perspective and then from a player. But talking from a DM
0: perspective, as you lay out a scenario or a path, there is a certain expectation that players come to the table, that you're ready to have a prepared adventure or at least a narrative to start an adventuring process, whether it be a sandbox game or a published adventure or one of your own making. No matter how that comes forward, you have to present it in a way that gets the players incentivized to come on these adventures or at least get their characters involved in several ways that players, when they create their characters, some may have expectations of one thing, and that's where the reading of the room is important. So we're gonna focus on that one. Um, Players will often create backgrounds and stories that detail where their character came from, where they're grounded in the campaign and what they're looking for. That is imperative as a DM that you pay attention to, especially close attention to what the players want, because that's what they're telling you. they're yeah, signaling this, this is an to.
1: opportunity you know don't don't think of it as a handcuff like this is an opportunity to engage uh, you'll you'll see in some cases it can bring out oppositional defiance when like they have created this thing that they had hoped would be incorporated into their gameplay and then it's absolutely brushed off the total brush off is a bad choice finding a way to weave that partial narrative in like some satisfaction is better than no satisfaction, right?
0: And sometimes it involves compromise. Some players may say that I'm the king of Astronion and I'm going to <clears throat> take the throne from the usurpers. And this game is about going into a dungeon filled with nasties. This is not the campaign for this character.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, <laughs> right. That's spelling out clear expectations, and we've detailed that many times in the past, so that should be pretty <laughs> familiar to me. And
1: I, I, I hate to be this guy. But, ah, yes, Estronia, uh, annihilated in the recent mage wars. (laughs) Uh, How fortunate for you that uh, the usurpers have been destroyed, but alas, so has the entire nation. Uh, The tiny handful of refugees uh, may indeed perhaps acknowledge you as their their king, but since there's only eight of them, it will be a long time before this affects gameplay. (laughs) Right, and sometimes (laughs) you can do that. (laughs) I am an a-hole of equal magnitude because I have the trait, okay? When we talk about being non-hostile to the oppositional defiance, uh, not trying to demonize it, uh, the truth is I've I've got a little whiff of that myself, which is if the ante is being upped, if somebody has thrown down the gauntlet of challenge, there's a little part of me, I have to work very hard to be responsible and mature and not fall prey to my instinctive desire to match that blow for blow. Oh, Okay. Ah, oh, time mm-hmm. to crack the knuckles. Cause uh I'm there fighting words. I'm breaking out my good pen as I write down all of the horrible things that are about to unfold as we keep moving this forward. Uh, yeah, I, I have the trait and I acknowledge it as we'll a both of us do. I right? acknowledge it as a deficit. Yeah. It is not my strong suit. It is it's not-, not a
0: strong suit, but it can be harnessed to good purposes. And kind of what we're doing here is soft shoeing into the Idea that uh, opposition defiance owners isn't just a player, it can be a DM trait as well. Yeah. So catching yourself and working with the DM because that's a singular person. Uh, And normally, a lot of our listeners are DMs or have DMed in the past or are looking to start DMing. One of the things is catching yourself before you fall in those traps.
1: Um, Yeah, There's also uh, open self-acknowledgement that like if you have built an absolute, like a rigid 100%, there is no way back from this. That's the first warning. Like at that point we examine and go, hey, where is there some room to walk back? Where can I find a space where I can like move towards accommodation or, you know, commiserate with them? You know, we will find a way to make this equal footing. For everybody, everybody gets something that they like. But if you catch yourself with like 100, percent this is unbreakable. You know that that's a little potential warning. It's a potential warning. Sometimes you can
0: set clear, defined boundaries where yeah. you want to go. I'm not going to use this source book. I'm like not
1: use this game mechanics book. that retain game balance. Yeah, all right. Perhaps being extremely firm and absolute about those is called for. It. However, if a thing is not going to create game imbalance or diminish enjoyment to play for other players. Think very carefully about how rigid or absolute you intend to be.
0: Exactly. You have to be you have to be firm but fair. And in my early Pathfinder campaign, I strictly forbid anybody from going outside of the core rulebook because I wanted to know the core rulebook experience. But once I got my sea legs under me, I felt a little bit more confident and opened it up. But it's clearly defined with the rarity system in Pathfinder what is common and what is rare and what is also readily available but outside of those guidelines you should also keep open to the fact that sometimes players ask for things that are just they're not going to be in the scope of anything and then you have to say well this is what i came prepared to play what would you like to play and when they say yeah i want to you know reclaim the throne of my lost homeland. All right, maybe it's time to take a walk back and say, all right, so this isn't the campaign you guys want to play in. But if it's one player or maybe just a a pair or maybe even a trio, uh, half your table, um, yeah, maybe you have to make a decision right then and there. that's like maybe these characters or these concepts that you have for your background and stories aren't here uh, for you. We can try to, as we've said before, laborlessly, that, yeah, you can make a compromise. But sometimes you do have to say no. And when you say no, make sure that you're fair in your assessment of it as you're just not throwing your ego out there. You're using your own good judgment, which you do have. We all do have it. Yeah. And you're using a a judgment to say, well, in the interest of what is going to be for me and for you as players, enjoyable. Let's find a way forward to this. And most people that's what it requires is basic communication. So I think that saying that part of the
1: uh, DM, if they've got a scheme, uh, you know, it's certainly something that's viable. Like uh, the, the big questions for me, the things that always pop into my head at a moment like that are, uh, will the remaining players at the table be able to access engagement and involvement in this process in a way that is entertaining for them, because you know if I'm if I'm basically like the the plot has shifted into a a personal wish list for three players and not the other three players, uh, that is not a great combo. That is not that is not me being a good DM.
0: Right, you are uh, the steward of all the other three
1: players. Uh, you know, for three, and then like leaving the other three out in the cold. The other question is time. Right. Like if these people are prepared to be patient, like, okay, is this going to be a campaign setting where we're able to do other things? You know, like in the early years, you guys got to build your fame. You got to build your reputation. Or is it going to be the three of you? Like we want to go directly to the capital city of our enemy and begin the process of undermining him so that we can achieve our goal. That All right, now you're cornering me and putting me in the, okay, no territory, because I see this ending badly already. I literally know how poorly this is going to wind up going for you, and I want to spare you this pain and discomfort that you are inviting upon yourselves. Uh, (laughs) However, if they have a plan, if they're here to engage... That's not truly oppositional defiant. No, you know, they no, and have, that's you can engage their creativity and, like, okay, you guys are going to build a base of power and support in another location. You're going to go on adventures. You're going to acquire wealth uh, and clout uh, and respect. And then you're going to use that to parlay opportunities to build a political right. Freedom, They're doing your awesome. work for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Okay, you got me with
0: that, right? But that's, you know, that, that's I think a, a good player engagement. That really sets the tone for how uh, a campaign can come about before a session zero is. Is so sitting down and talking about, hey, what would you guys like to do? You know, is there anything that, you know, any burning wild idea you had? And maybe that's the time to tell that player that has said, I want to reclaim the lost kingdom that I'm exiled from. Okay, here's the time to revisit that idea you had. This is where your character concept is important. And that's how to curtail it. I think those are constructive tools that you should have in your uh, DM tool bag to pull out at a moment's notice. And understand that some players, you can tell them no, but say, no, no, maybe later after this campaign I'm prepared. can you maybe make a character that comes forward that uh, can fit into this campaign? And so most players will be reasonable. I think everybody comes to a certain expectation that, yeah, I can't get everything my way. But I am going to get something out of this. So, you know, whether you throw them uh, a few things like, hey, maybe your character is just a noble in this one, takes a noble background. Or if you're playing an old school essential, just your character has a little bit more starting money and move forward from there. Help them engage a little bit with the campaign, but also feel like, hey, you're listening. That helps a lot. But there are truly uh, times when, as a DM, you have uh, people who enter in the campaign and their whole idea is to destroy everything. They're there to derail.
1: Welcome to the Joker.
0: Yep. Yep. The Joker player. Now, how do you deal with a person like that? Well, most of the time, people like that find their way out of a table. The other players become annoyed with them. Um, They find themselves often at odds with a player who doesn't want to work or seem to work with what their current desires are.
1: And I hate to say it,
0: but... uh,
1: They see themselves out. uh, The downside is that oftentimes people will look to the DM, not as a fellow participant, but as like some kind of leadership role, which like the the DM in terms of the game is authoritative. And yes, here are the guys fear you. Yeah. It is your role. And if you, scroll all the way back to our most ancient of episodes, you know, like the authority of the DM, there are certain things that in the context of playing the game, that authority is essential, but it creates the accidental impression that out of game in, in the you know real world that you have some kind of authoritative voice over other human beings and how they interact. And that is not supposed to be our role. Uh, that is not a responsibility that is supposed to be wholly ours. It's supposed to be a collective experience and people are supposed to be working together to come to these conclusions. Appeals, like, but can't you make this problem go away? Yeah, that's, you can restrict people. I, I just had to do it
0: recently. I it's had to, exhausting. I had to restrict uh, a player from the table. They had been coming. They were always at odds with myself and other players. And, I just felt that their presence was disruptive and they had other groups that they were playing with at the time. And I'm like, hey, maybe this group isn't for you. And there seems to be a lot of personality conflicts. Sometimes you have to do that. And it does fall to the DMO authoritatively where people look to you as the titular head, and the leader of the group. But always do so if you must do that. Do it with a consensus talk to other people, see how they feel. Some people are don't want to get an adversarial relationship. I had one player that just did not want to engage with that person, and they restricted their participation when they were around. It's true. And These that's when you have to come to terms with that. But
1: awkward. Uh, uh, they are arguably, I think, the stickiest of situations to deal with, like just the worst. It's uh, because they're not cut and dried and therein lies the problem. Like if the the situation was, you know, black and white, yes or no, uh, we would have so much less hassle. It would be so less emotionally grueling for players and DMs to work out these conflicts. Uh, But every once in a while, you run into a situation where, that final absolute is going to come into play. And, you know, like this, these are the bad actors, you know, the, the people who, in some respects, there are people who do not know that they are being particularly disruptive. That's mm-hmm. usually a situation you can work with or work from, but there are people that know perfectly well what they're doing. They are not stupid. Uh, they are not incompetent. They know precisely what they're undertaking, and they take enjoyment from it. Uh, They are here to diminish other people's experience and to experience the subtle thrill of exercising power over a social situation. Uh, It is effectively just a form of bullying. And many a DM has been boxed into a corner and forced to go, this is not going to work. I'm sorry.
0: You know, uh, taking people aside and talking to them, it, it doesn't work. After the first few times, it, nothing Well, And I'm not
1: trying to s- excuse anybody wanting to say, like, hey, I want to work with people. Well, you don't have a responsibility to invest a massive amount of your time to a single person. Right. To you know, like If you have a continual creation of minor crises over and over again, your job isn't to pee out all these fires one after another or run around with a shovel like Smokey the Bear Bot. Only you. Bang. Oh. Only you. Bang. Stop. Um, you, it, it just, that is not your Paranoia reference, sorry. <laughs> yes, I, I, that may not have made sense to some folks, but if, if you're the, Barabot, yeah. the Yellow Clearance Black Box Blues, then you know the Smoky when you
0: Smokey the Bear you the ouch, <laughs> it hurts.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, your, bul- your ex-vulture trooper got dinged right in the <laughs> yeah, noggin, <God>. didn't he? <laughs> uh, please. <laughs> <laughs> he, he went after you like a cat on a crack. <laughs> oh, man.
0: That was my oppositional defiance disorder. No, I will not take the spot rail. Bam! <laughs> yes, I guess I will. Okay, maybe I will. <laughs> I, uh, I want to see where this goes. I was invested. Anyway, yeah, but yeah it, it's, put some levity on it. Yeah, your job, you're there to play, and you shouldn't have to deal with it, but at the same time, it is part of the kind of job. It comes with the title that you have to work and speak to players, but not everything's going to work out. And sometimes you have to cut your losses. Now, how to try to deal with that? I think um, when we come out in the front, we did get a
1: little ahead of ourselves by saying, like, hey, here's some ways to deal with them." We, sh- we should back reference session zero level preparation. Right. Uh, because and, that's a long time ago we did that episode. Uh, session zero prep is where you outline the expectations. Uh, and you're not wrong to stick to your guns on it. Yeah. If you say this is the adventure I want to run
0: and create, and the players just overwhelmingly pull, uh, plug their noses like Benjamin shut, like, oh no, I don't want to do that, then yeah, it's your time as a DM, your responsibility. Under
1: halls of the Odeog King. No, I don't want to play. But hard pass. Hard pass. I don't want
0: to play. No. <laughs>
1: um,
0: we had. You know, you have a number of other resources to pull from. Use them. Even if you have to go for, I know that there's sometimes a DM oppositional defiance disorder oh, yeah. to not uh, use scripted material because they feel that like it's going to railroad their players. Hey, you know your players
1: and your friends the best. You're going to make those judgments yourself. Yeah, but I think yeah, but we should be like, you were right to mention DM oppositional defiance order as well. Because, right. because players can we, be antagonistic, we get, but we they get a usually... picture in our head of something that like we have creatively spawned. And oh man, like uh, we we cling to it. We cling to it like children with a favored stuffed animal or right. a binky. Okay, just no, you can't take this from me, please. I'll kill you all. And, just, <laughs> just, and you have the ability as a DM to do that. We go omen child, if like no, not the precious. Uh, oh,
0: I always kept a uh, ancient level red dragon
1: <laughs> on standby
0: <laughs> I carried it with me on, is uh, it a to, holding
1: pattern Yeah,
0: to eliminate players that uh, showed up with munchkin characters right off the bat and yeah that was sadistic of me but there was also a subtle message implied that yeah I can pull the trigger on it I never used it um, it was just always there but players knew where the line was. And I think setting in that way, there was a certain part of me that was saying, like, here's my boundary.
1: Woe betide ye. <laughs> I,
0: I don't put up with cheese weasels, characters that have a self-repeating pattern. Like, oh, I always win.
1: Yeah, written on the page with the uh, dragon standard, suffer no guilt, ye who wield yep. this in the name of Kron. Exactly. and. <laughs> <laughs>
0: While it may have been kind of passive aggressive of me, I think it did set a tone, and that's a personality trait. I think that you can embrace without being overbearing about it. You I never used it, but people knew it was there. I also think that people have a tendency to look at a DM to be tough but fair. And I think that's a clear indication that you're doing something right. I think also, uh, and this is a lot of me think I think I think I think that you have a, an obligation as a DM to meet your players, in a, uh, an open manner without judgment and listen to them. And I think that's the crux here is that uh, uh, some players just don't feel, no matter how much they are listened to, that they still get what they want. And that's a thing that can't be sorted out at the table. That's a thing that they have to come to terms with on their own. And no matter how, how much of counseling and, and mentoring and co- real cooperative uh, mentoring that you can uh, pull in with that you cannot change people if they don't want to change
1: yeah if they're stuck to their guns if there's no wiggle room no negotiation like the, remember what i said about the like 100 intractability thing that is always the warning sign yeah uh, then and, like things are headed for an enviable level of conflict we'll mention
0: his name because he's uh, no longer with us but we used to have a character, Dan McJunkin, who would just out of go nowhere, and we're just going to use it because Mike understands and rather oh, than yeah. making a straw man. he's a real person, but just out of nowhere, he would just, he would stick his feet in the mud about something that was potentially he wanted to do, and no matter the other player, he would not read the room.
1: Yeah, hey, like five other people at the table like, okay, this sounds like the worst idea ever, but at, apparently, like, we're we're going on without this guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he was perfectly willing to. do. Okay, we'll leave it behind. Fine, I'll do it
0: myself. Well, wait, I'm, I'm only one person. I can only narrate one thing at a time. Fine, I'll just sit here until we're done.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: You're holding everybody hostage. That's
1: how it's going to be. All right. Yeah, and he would literally go there. It was amazing to watch. And it was oftentimes over things that were what most of us thought were trivial. But we can only surmise that he had emotionally vested himself at that exact moment in like achieving some nebulous goal that he attached to this decision process. And then the rest of the party didn't go along with it. And he was like, but I still like this is the thing that my character would do, Uh, which, you know, in in his case, uh, what his character wanted to do was always, of course, what Dan wanted to do. There was, there was no such thing as like character player conflict with him where like, look, I'm playing a character that does stuff that I don't do. So I'm going to play the character doing yeah. stuff that I don't do. I love to reach for that kind of interplay in my character creation. Like, well, let's create, let's make somebody who isn't like me, you know, uh, and, or has traits that are you know radically different. Um, and so I played a huge variety not so with our old acquaintance, uh, his characters were one hundred percent an extension of like his desire to express himself. There's nothing wrong with that. your character creation hey. and I, I those are valid concepts. your process reason. is your process, but this was the dark side of growing so attached to you know, like it's my way or the highway there you go, every yeah. single time.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and yet, that no matter problem, compromise, can and can breach that, and that's something that I don't think that is in the scope of any podcast rule book or yeah, there's advice sure. that can be given. There's sometimes you just have to part ways with people, but they're thankfully very rare, and the warning signs are pretty clear up ahead. That that's what you're going to be running into. Um, what precisely we were trying to go for was here it was like always be mindful of yourself. Mm-hmm and your players, their desires, and their needs. If you can meet them halfway most of the time, even though they may feel sometimes, some players create a character that is so complex or a background that involves such an amount of investiture of your time that takes away from your normal duties as a DM just to placate them. They're never gonna be happy. And that's another thing that I think needs to be addressed, but succinctly so. Do the best you can. They may not never, ever be fully happy with a a very complicated backstory, but that's also, you can turn it back on them. Like, hey, if you want to be pursued by assassins from your fleeing uh, your uh, former homeland as a exiled noble, help me. Like, don't just sit here, make your character so he's a swaggering braggart, proclaiming their nobility. Make them furtive and suspicious and fearful.
1: That will help you as a DM. Yeah, they... you know, we use this as an example because it's such a perfect test case. Like right, The right, potential right. value of, like, I'm a noble. Uh, like, I get to tell people what to do and I have limitless money. If that's what they're looking for, it's time to, like, just go ahead and put, you know, hit the BS button and go, yeah, I don't <laughs> think so. Now, if somebody's like, oh, yeah, I'm in danger of my life. I'm, I had to flee my own nation. I've, I've got to rebuild my power base. They're already starting to think creatively. This is not like 100% advantage land. This is like, wait, I can build like a campaign long arc where we keep having side tidbits of this long personal quest. I think I'm in, you know? Yeah, like and I got the wiggle room. I, I can work with that. And we use this test case because it's a perfect example
0: of what, as you specifically said, of what falls. The, the problem is. But if you meet the, if you encourage a player, like, hey, play like you're being pursued, that there are assassins at every corner and there are tr- betrayers and traitors in your midst, you've got the right mentality to do this. And, of course, that can be taken overboard. But you're at least meeting somebody halfway and trying to engage them in your campaign. And that's all you can do. So... I think that we spelled know. it out pretty well. The first part, we put every, all the tools in the bag that we could. And I think that's uh, enough for you to carry forth. Let us know in our in the comment section of our Facebook page, Dice are Screaming. And uh, we'll uh, discuss them maybe next episode. Or uh, you can leave a call in and we let us know what you think. All right. All right. But until next time, may, may the, the dice, dice always roll in your, your favor. favor. We're out. See ya.